y'all remember, remember this guy? Remember him? The thinker. He made his first appearance in one of my recorded sermons last summer. Anybody remember that? Well, let me tell you, this guy has taken on a life of his own since that time. Kathy has taken to hiding him all over the house, Kathy being my wife. Craig opens his sock drawer. (gasps) There he is. Craig opens the piano bench. (gasps) There he is. Craig opens the toolbox to get a hammer. (gasps) There he is. After the election, I discovered him with a I voted sticker stuck to him. And so I say, Kathy. And she starts singing, you better think. Think about what you're trying to do to me. You better think. And y'all know Kathy. When she wants to sing like Aretha Franklin, she can sing like Aretha Franklin. <laughs> but it's good that we think, right? We, we should think. I need to think. You need to think. And specifically, we need to think about what we want. What's the longing of your heart? What do you desire? What do you seek? We need to think about those things because what our heart longs for, what our heart seeks, those are the things that we go after. Whether those things are good for us or not. Therefore, it's vitally important for you and for me to want right things to seek right things. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we return one last time to the Great Commission. And you'll find that in Matthew chapter 28 if you have your own Bible. If not, there's one in the pew in front of you. Uh, The passage is also printed in the bulletin. So when you found Matthew chapter 28, I want to ask you to stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you again for your word. We seek you in it. We find you in it. We find within the pages of your uh, sacred scripture, uh, your will for us. We find there the things that we ought to want and seek. So give us the eyes to uh, see those things and hearts to desire them and minds that act to go after them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we are going to look at the the sixth and the final way of doing what Jesus has commissioned us to do. And he's told us to go to the world and make disciples and, and teach them to obey all that he has commanded. And so we've been looking at ways in which we can do that. And since I know that repetition is the handmaiden of learning, uh, for this one last time, I'm going to review the five ways at which we've already looked. Ways that will help us teach the Word of God effectively. And, And way one is this, you must be compassionate. 
whenever God gives you the opportunity to teach and, 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 and whoever he brings into your life to teach them, be compassionate. That's the way Jesus shows us to be. Way number two is to be welcoming. That's the way Jesus shows us. The sinful, the least, the lonely, the lost, the left out, Jesus welcomed them. He had a welcoming spirit, and they drew near to Jesus. Way three, you must expect to be amazed by the word of God. Never fail to go to the word of God and expect to be amazed by the truth you find there and by the Jesus you find there. And may your amazement and excitement over the word of the Lord uh, transfer to those you teach. Way number uh, five. Number four, re- related to that is we've got to love the word of the Lord. You know, it's much easier to get people to love what we love. And, and when those you teach see how much you love the Lord, and when they see how much the word of the Lord has changed you, perhaps they will try the word of the Lord themselves and love it too. And fifthly, uh, last week, we got to work hard. We have to do our best for the Lord. All the gifts that the Lord has given to you and to me, we have to use them. We have to use them specifically to go to his word. And we get to his word to take people through his word straight to the person of Christ. Now, here's the good news. The good news is that with Jesus as our example and with the word of God as our foundation and with the spirit of God as our power, these ways can be effective in our lives for not only making disciples, but in teaching them how to live as those who seek to follow Christ closely. So this morning, I'm going to end with the sixth way. And the sixth way is this. We must make Christ our all in all. We must make Christ our all in all. We must seek Christ above all else. This morning's snapshot comes from John chapter 1. And it covers a time period of three days. We find ourselves with John the baptizer. You know John. He was a renegade. And he was absolutely one who would be characterized as counter-cultural. He lived in the desert. He ate locusts and wild honey. He dressed in camel hair and wore a leather belt. He's a fiery preacher. And here's the thing about John. He did not bend to his culture. Instead, he spoke truth into it. And so before some of the most powerful and influential men in his culture, he boldly and without fear said things such as this. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee the wrath to come? He speaks bold truth to everyone who comes to hear him preach. He says to the crowds, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's truth spoken boldly. So we see that John has made himself neither culturally appropriate. He is so inappropriate. (laughs) Culturally speaking, 
Neither has he made himself easily accessible to people. But they flock to him anyway because there is some sense of unsettledness within them, some unmet want that drives them to John. But John knows that he's neither the answer nor the person they're seeking. And so John says to himself, I'm the voice. I'm the voice calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. John says, among you stands one you don't know, whose uh, sandals I am not worthy to untie. That's day one. Day two, Jesus comes walking toward John. And John says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one Uh, he's the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am for he existed long before me. That's day two. Day three, John is standing with two of his disciples, Andrew and another John, the John who became an apostle and the author of this gospel. And he looks at Jesus as Jesus walks by and he says, behold the Lamb of God. Andrew and John turn from John the baptizer and they start following Jesus. And Jesus sees them following. And he turns and he says to them, what are you seeking? Now listen, these are the very first words that John records Jesus speaking. These are the very first ones. And how interesting that they form a question. Because Jesus knows that good questions are powerful. In order for you or for me to answer a question, we have to explore, don't we? We have to explore ourselves, those wide open areas of our hearts and our minds. But we also have to, to explore those uh, deeper, sometimes darker recesses of our heart and mind. Questions help us discover what's there. So Jesus says, what are you seeking? And the word that Jesus uses for seek means that they, John and Andrew, along with us, we all have things that we want, things that we wish for, and things that we desire. Well, this word puts emphasis on the fact that John and Andrew and you and I, we devote serious effort. We give attention to going after the things that we want. We want things, we go after them. That's what seek means. And so this word seek ties together the mind and the heart. Your heart desires something. And your mind, like mine, goes to work to realize and to get what we want. Rene Descartes might have kicked off the modern era In 1637, when he famously said, I think, therefore I am, and the scientific community might have latched on to that phrase and taken it full bore, but that phrase, I think, therefore I am, does not sum up who you and I are. You and I, we are more than a mind that thinks 
We are ones who feel. We are ones who want. And our feeling and our wanting is often what drives our thinking. And so there's an unsettledness in the heart of John. There's an unsettledness in the heart of Andrew. And that causes them to think, oh, let's go to the desert and listen to John. And they find John, and John in turn points them to Jesus, and then Jesus invites them to come with him. Jesus famously says, come and see. And so he invites these two followers to come and be with him. And when John and Andrew find Christ, they need seek no further because their hearts resonate in the person of Christ with that which they've been seeking, and that's what they've been wanting, and now they've found what's right and good for their lives. Now, that's the snapshot. And this may come as a shock to good Presbyterians, but notice that Jesus does not ask Andrew and John what they think or what they believe or what they know. Instead, he asks them what they want, what they seek. And here's the thing. Being a disciple of Christ is more than just knowing. Being a disciple of Christ means wanting, wanting what is right. Knowing, vitally important. Believing, vitally important. We tend to those things well, especially in a, in a church like ours. We focus so much on right belief and right knowing. And that's all very well. That's all very good. But we also need to tend to our wants. Because we know what we want And what we want doesn't always keep us from going after what we want, even when we know it's not right. That's why we sin, right? You can't have the fruit on that tree. Oh, but I want the fruit on that tree. We know in our minds the consequences of sin. We don't lack right information. We don't lack right belief about what sin causes and where sin leads. But we want things in our lives. You want them. I want them. And those wants often override what we know and even what we believe. So Jesus asks, what do you seek? What do you want? You and I have to tend to our wants. We can't put them on autopilot. We can't ignore them. We can't neglect them. We can't let them run rampant like weeds in a garden, we must actively align our wants with what is right. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, not above some things or a few things. Above all things, guard your heart For everything you do flows from it. In his book, You Are What You Love, James K.A. Smith writes this, Discipleship is more a matter of reformation than of acquiring in 
formation. Of orienting our desires to God and what God desires for his creation. I'm going to read it again. Discipleship. Being a disciple. And that's what you and I should long to be. It's more a matter of reformation than of acquiring information. It's of orienting our desires to God and what God desires for his creation. So to be a disciple means that you and I will not only know what's right and believe what's right, it means that also we will want what is right. And being obedient to this great commission means teaching others to love what is right. How are we going to do that? How are you going to know what's right in your life? Well, when I talk about identifying our wants, I'm not talking about, you know, a, a, a self-inventory. I'm not saying get this little guy out and saying, hmm, now let me think. Now let me think. What do I want? What do I want in my life? What do I seek? And see, herein lies the great divide. Here's the great divide between Christianity, between you and me as believers in Christ, and the culture in which we live. You and I know that we don't get to self-identify. We don't get to self-identify. You and I must scripture identify. And contrary to popular belief, even the beliefs of many of those who legislate for us, when you dig deep down into the human heart, if you just dig deep enough, you are not going to find a basically good person. That is not what you are going to find. You're not going to find pure thoughts. You're not going to find right thoughts. And let me tell you, that's not my opinion. And that's not just some political statement. That is the truth of Scripture. Like it or don't like it, up to you. That's the truth of Scripture about the human heart. That means that our wanting, that means that our seeking may be and often is contrary to the Word of God. So listen, we're only going to want what is right. And we are only going to seek what is right through Holy Spirit, not human spirit. Holy Spirit, guided reading of the Word of God. Pentecost Sunday, Holy Spirit leads and guides us in the reading of the Word of God. It's through Holy Spirit guided prayer. It's through Holy Spirit-inspired silence before the Lord. Meditating on His truth. Contemplating His truth. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. If you then have been raised with Christ. Have you been raised with Christ? Have you? If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things of earth. Now I'm going to bring out the big guns. John Calvin, in his famous work, Institutes of the Christian Religion, he writes, It is certain that man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face. 
never achieves a clear knowledge of himself if he has not first looked upon God's face and then descends from contemplating God to scrutinizing himself. As long as we do not look beyond the earth, being quite content with our own righteousness, wisdom, and virtue, we flatter ourselves most sweetly. If you and I don't set our minds on things above, on the face of God, we will never know, we will never want what is right. There's no way around it. This is it, period. And God hasn't required that we be rocket scientists in order to figure it out. And God has not designed some intricate complicated maze through which we must uh, travel to find our way to get this right. No, it's simple. You can only expect to get your wants in line with Jesus when you spend time with Jesus. Does that make sense? But be honest. Who or what gets more of your time? Facebook? YouTube? Netflix? Raging with your family and friends or Jesus? If those things get more of your attention, how is it that you're ever going to know or want what is right? Again, quoting Smith, our culture often sells us faulty, fantastical maps of the good life. The paint alluring pictures that draw us toward them. All too often we stake the expedition of our lives on them. Setting sail toward them with every sheet hoisted. And we do so without thinking about it. Because the maps work on our imagination and not our intellect. It's not until we're shipwrecked that we realize that we trusted faulty maps. And that's why Jesus asked the question, what are you seeking? What map are you following? Smith continues that we go off track, not because our intellect has been hijacked by bad ideas, but because our desires have been captivated by rival visions of flourishing. Somebody else tells us what the good life is. Somebody else tells us what flourishing looks like, and we believe it. I'm going to throw in a second snapshot this morning. This is a freebie. I'm so generous. It's a freebie. This one comes from Luke chapter 2. Very brief. Huge crowd of people following Jesus. You might say mobbing Jesus. They're pressing in on him. And everyone in that crowd sought to touch Jesus. They wanted to put their hand on him because Scripture tells us power was coming out from Jesus. And he healed them all. Can you picture that in your mind? I can. The desperation on the faces of those people. The longing to touch Jesus because they knew that he was their only hope and their only help. Jesus, in that moment, 
is everything to them. That's the kind of desperation you and I should have for Christ. That's, that's how much we must want him. To see him as our all and all. To seek him above all else. Do you? Think about it. It's your choice. It's my choice. If we'll seek what is right, if we'll want what is right for ourselves, but not only for ourselves, but for those who depend upon us, we must actively seek Christ. Now, the implications and the applications for this truth go way beyond uh, the Great Commission and Jesus' call here for us to, to teach everything that he commanded, but they, they do at least include these, and, and that's been the focus uh, of our time for lo these many weeks. So I'll simply say this. When God gives you an opportunity to teach, you, you need to find your all in all in Christ. He's got to satisfy you. And you know what? Then you don't use other people. You don't need them. You don't need them to stroke your ego. You don't need them to inflate your self-esteem. You, you don't need that. You don't need to use them uh, as a building block and building your own kingdom. And you know we do those things. We have to pray against them all the time. We use other people uh, for, for, for our own needs. But not when Christ is your all in all. When you see Christ above all else, when he's your all in all, you, you don't need these things because you know what you're thinking all along? My life, my life is hid with Christ in God. Is that good news? Does it get any better than that? Your life is hid with Christ in God. I want to wrap up with this. Because we're ending our look at the Great Commission, and God's people said. <laughs> and so I'm going to end by asking you again what Jesus asked Andrew and John. What do you want? What are you seeking? Do you want what Jesus wants? What does Jesus want? Jesus wants at least this. He wants you to be his disciple, a real follower of Christ, one who seeks to follow closely after him. That's what Jesus wants. Jesus wants you to go into all the world. Jesus wants that as you go into all the world, that you'll make disciples. Jesus wants that you bring them into the community, the family of God that's marked by baptism. Jesus wants that you should teach others to obey all that he has commanded. Jesus wants that you depend upon his all authority has been given to me power. Jesus wants that you depend on his, lo, I am with you, always, presence. That's what Christ wants 
for you and for me. Do you want it? After 13 weeks, 13 weeks of looking at the Great Commission, how do you feel? Are you the same? Undifferent? Indifferent? Unmoved? Or are you now inspired to want the things that Jesus wants? People often ask me, Craig, what are you doing as a church? And I know that often in that question, the answer they're seeking is, well, we want to know your structure. We want to know what all of your programs are. And I always simply answer that our prayer is that we at Redeemer are empowering our people to do what Christ has called us to do. And that's simply this. We are seeking to be disciples, and we are seeking to make disciples. And while that process can be formal, and while it can be programmed, most of the time, it's not. Few, few are the hours of the week for formal teaching, but myriad are the hours during a week that you are with people. And while you're with those people, you can interject God's truth with compassion, with a welcoming, inviting spirit. You can show them the love you have for the word of Christ and your amazement and astonishment at how the word of God has changed you. You can make Christ the focal point. Listen, how off the hook would you be? How off the hook would you be if you signed up to teach a 45-minute class and then you could dust your hands off and say to the Lord, I've done right by you. Lord, I taught this 45-minute class. How off the hook would you be as a parent if you sent your child to a 45-minute Sunday school class, and then you said, my work here is done. I've done right by my child this week. I gave them 45 minutes in Sunday school. How likely do you think your child, how likely do you think your child will really become a disciple of Christ who follows him closely for a lifetime with that little input? Now listen to me and hear me. I'm not saying that these things are wrong. Sunday school, whatever you want to call it, it's good, it's not bad. Formal teaching is good, it's not bad. What I'm saying is that programs are not all that we expect them to be when we abdicate to them, when we place on them a burden that they are not intended to carry. Listen, Christ commissions you. Christ commissions me. He has equipped us to carry that burden. You have the Spirit of the living God living in you. You have the Word of God in your hand. You have the I am always with you presence of the Lord and the all authority has been given to me power of Christ at your disposal. So listen, don't look for the program. Be the program. Don't look for the program. You be the program. You've got the relationships. You make disciples as you go into the world who along with you seek Christ above all else, who seek to make Christ their all in all. And you sing, 
you sing along with them. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world, but give me Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love to be together in your presence to worship you and to come around your word together. Thank you for teaching us, Lord. Thank you for these many weeks uh, in the Great Commission. Don't leave us indifferent. Lord, not because of my words. They're they're nothing but because of your truth. And whenever uh, your truth was spoken during the course of these 13 weeks, I pray that it might penetrate our hearts and change us. I pray that through this many weeks-long study, of this great commission, we'll be different people. And I pray that we'll want different things. Especially, Lord, that we will want to be disciples of yours like we've never been before. That we will follow you because it's like we've never followed you before. That we will know that following you is not casual. It's not something we do on this side. But, Lord, it's, it's intense. It's daily. It's moment by moment, minute by minute of following you. Lord, reveal yourself to us when we come to you. Help us to want the things that you want. The world is powerful. Father, when we're honest in this moment, we absolutely feel defeated because we as your people don't have a microphone. Your truth doesn't have a microphone. We watch our culture go absolutely insane. The shock of what we see going on. And Lord, that's the message going out that's right and good. That's what's portrayed as the right life and the good life. It's a freak show. So Lord, help us know that we only find what's right and good through your word. And give us your power, your spirit to understand it, to apply it, to love it, To God our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.